Welcome to the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. We're getting ready to have an old-fashioned line-on-line, precept-on-precept study of God's Word to search out those deeper truths and gain a greater understanding of the Bible. We would love for you to join us today as we dig in and learn what it is God would truly have us to know from His letter that He wrote to us. Hello there, God bless you, and welcome into the study today. We're glad to have you. We're going to be picking it up in Genesis chapter 37, verse 1 in just a moment. Now, the last lecture ended with the genealogy of Edom, uh, or Esau. Now, with that, it's pretty well the last that we hear of Esau. Just before that, we see that Jacob and Esau buried their dad Isaac. They were peaceful and Esau began to move out of the land, whereas Jacob was moving into the land. Now, Esau became known as Edom, or the Edomites. And then, as I mentioned in the last lecture, Genesis, um, excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 1, speaks of chief prince Meshach. And that chief, in Hebrew, it's Rosh. And then later, and this is... I misspoke in the last lecture and said the Latin Vulgate changed it to Rus, or translated it. What I meant to say was the Volga, which is a group of people in that area, began calling the Edomites from Rosh to Rus, and then later became known as the Russians. So just to clarify that, it was the, the Volga people, not the Vulgate. So today, as we pick it up, we're going to get into Jacob's history and really get to talking about Joseph and the story of him getting into Egypt and how that turned out. So I'm going to ask for clarity and understanding from our Father in Jesus' name, chapter 37 and verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob, or this is the history. Joseph, being seventeen years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with his with the sons of Bilhah, which would have been Dan and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpah, which would have been Gad and Asher, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. So basically, he's kind of tattletelling. Okay, he he's out there. He's observing that they're not handling things, you know, the way he would do or the way he that their dad expects. So he's going back and telling what's going on. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. This was kind of a downfall, kind of a a little drawback to Israel, is that he played favoritism pretty heavily. Uh, He favored Rachel above his wives, and naturally here he favors Joseph. And, you know, God don't play favorites. He cuts it clean across the board. There's no favoritism. He's fair. He's more fair than anyone. Uh, Continuing verse 3, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, this coat of many colors, it don't mean it was patched together, like it had a bunch of patches on it, so it was uh, like a quilt. It, it's not that. What it means is it basically the chief of a family would have a coat such as this and then pass it on to his heir. So what it's doing is calling Joseph out as Israel's heir, even though he's the younger. Verse 4, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. They envied him. They really just, you know, this just this eat him up with jealousy. 
verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren. And they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeyance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet more for his dreams and for his words. Now, you might say, you know, he probably, he might be a little braggy. You know, he could have probably kept this to himself. I guess you could put it to adolescence, maybe just a little immaturity here. But it is still all in God's plans. Verse 9, And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeyance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him, and said to him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brother indeed come and bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him. Uh-oh. But his father observed this saying. So naturally Israel had had a few dreams himself. And so he's kind of sitting back and going, you know, maybe, okay. I'm, I'm seeing, you know, he's probably seeing a pattern here. Verse 12. And his brethren went to feed their flocks in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren, feed, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here I am. I'm ready to go. Let, let me go. I'm ready. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Now, basically, he's going to be uh, a reporter, I guess you could say, kind of maybe just checking in and... The brothers aren't going to like this. They're out there doing the work, and he's been set up at the house. You know, he's the favorite. He kind of gets the, the easy side of things. And then when it comes down to business, he shows up, and if he happens to catch them messing around, well, he's going to go right back and tell Pops that they're messing around, and, you know, they're going to get in trouble. So all this is doing is just building more envy, more jealousy, more hatred towards him. Verse 15, And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And he said, They, they are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. Now, Dothan is on a, a caravan road, basically. It was kind of the, the main road that was going into Egypt for caravans coming from the east. Verse 18. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. They really hated this dude. And they said one to another, Behold, the dreamer cometh. Now here they are making fun of him. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast had devoured him. 
and we will see what will come of his dreams. Basically, what they're saying, they're, they're mocking him here, saying, look, we're going to kill this dude and throw him in a pit and see how much of us bow down to him at that point. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands. And he said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto him, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might deliver him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. So Reuben's stepping up as the big brother and going, Here, let's just, let's just leave him in there. And you know, he's kind of trying to pull a little, a, a quick one on him, and just let him down over there and just leave him there. And then whenever their attention would get diverted, he'd run over there and get him out and come on, you know, Get out of here, you know, go on home. But, verse 23, And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was upon him. And they took him and cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites, came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. Well, what perfect timing. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if they slay our brother, if we slay our brother, and conceal his blood? Well, we won't make any money off of that. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, excuse me, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Oh, they all like the idea of making a little extra money on the side. Then they're passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now, I want to point something out here. As much as we talk about Joseph... Joseph is a type of savior of Israel because in the end, with the famines that happen, Joseph is the one who is given the gift by God to understand how to prevent Israel from dying during a famine that will be coming up in the next few chapters. And this 20 pieces of silver, if you remember, Christ was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And it just so happens... He was sold, basically, into bondage. He was bound and carried away. So we have this type of Christ in Joseph that we can definitely learn from. Verse 29, And Reuben returned into the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. And he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brethren, and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? So how am I supposed to go home to Dad and tell him, that Joseph's not here. He, you know, this, this is really hurting Reuben. <coughs> and they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. Naturally, even if they didn't pull it off of Joseph right then, they would have known it was his coat. And he knew it. And he said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast had devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. 
And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. And he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into my grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. He said, There's no way I can get over this. That was his favorite son. There, he, he just, He's going to die a sad man. Verse 36, And the Midianites sold, sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Now, the captain of the guard is basically, he had charge over the police and the military and also the executioners, okay? So, verse 38 and verse 1. Now, now in verse th uh, chapter 38, we're going to pull away from Joseph for just a minute. We're going into a little bit of Judah. We're going to see a little of his character. And it came to pass at the time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned in to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Now, this is a friend. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite, uh-oh, whose name was Shua. And he took her and went in unto her. Now, you might recall Esau was taken out of the blessing of the lineage because he, he lay with women that were outside of the, the Adamic line, okay? Now, Judah just stepped out of that line, and he got with the Canaanites. You see, Israel and the Canaanites were not supposed to mix because there's a second influx of fallen angels, of the Nephilim, which you can read about. That's where Goliath would come from. That's where the king named Og would come from. These giants, the Philistines, they were interbreeding with, with angels and making hybrids again. And so now Judah is kind of dabbling over in that culture, and that's not good. That's not God's plan. And Judah is one. Uh, he is the king line. Therefore, he is one who... Uh, one, one side of the line who Christ came from, biologically. Let's see, next verse. And verse 3, And she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son, and called his name Shelah. And he was at Chezib when she bare him. And Judah took a wife to Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. Now, Tamar, excuse me, Tamar is a Judean. So she is, or excuse me, she is an Israelite. So she is back in this line. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord slew him. And Judah said unto Onan, Go in, go in unto thy brother's wife and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. Now, this raise up seed, this is law before Sinai, but, <coughs> excuse me, what this is, is kinsman redeemer, basically. Uh, you're, so, naturally, Ur had no children. The custom of the time was that Onan would go into Tamar, have a child, and that child would then be basically adopted by Ur 
even though he's already dead, but that child would be counted as his son. And so he would receive the inheritance of Ur while also receiving part of the inheritance of Onan. And, you know, for most that seems pretty confusing, but that's just, that's what this, that's the custom of the time. Verse 9, And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. As I just explained, it would be Ur's. And it came to pass, when he went in unto his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground, lest that he should give seed unto his brother. So he's a little greedy over his stuff. He's not, he didn't want to have his brother a kid and help him to carry on the namesake. At the same time, though, he is half Judean or Israelite and half Canaanite. So that can't be in the lineage. And the, and the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at thy father's house till Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, Lest peradventure he die also, as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So hold on just a little while. You know, we, we've got a... So now he's got two sons that he's got to rear up children for, along with, or through this third one that's coming up. Verse 12, And in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up unto his sheep shears in Timnath, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. Now, sheep shearing time, and as we'll see, Judah, he likes to party when, when it comes sheep shearing time. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's, widow's garments off from her, and covered her with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnath. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. So she had waited these years, and Judah had not fulfilled his side of the bargain. So she's still playing, or she's still... Being a widow, meaning that she's not marrying, she's not even looking, okay? But here Shayla is, he's a grown man, and he's still getting to do, you know, whatever he wants to do. He's not been given to her. Verse 15, and Judah saw her. He thought her to be in harlot. So she had dressed up. She's having to disguise herself because she had covered her face. And he turned unto her, by the way, and said, go to, I pray thee. Let me come in unto thee, for he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What wilt thou give me, that thou mayest come in unto me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. She said, Wilt thou give me a pledge till thou send it? And he said, What pledge shall I give thee? And she said, Thy signet, and thy bracelets, and thy staff that is in thy hand. And he gave it to her, and came in unto her, and she conceived by him. <coughs> now, this signet ring, this is basically your signature. What they would do with legal contracts or binding contracts at this time, this signet would be dipped in wax, and, and it would basically sign the, the paper or whatever would be the cause there. And so this is... Basically, him giving her his signature. Yes, you've got it. Verse 9. 
And she arose and went away and laid by her veil from her. So she put off her, her harlot's clothes and put on the garments of her widowhood. So here she goes. She's pretending nothing happened. And Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand. But he found her not. So he's trying to get his stuff back. He's, you know, he is fulfilling his side of the bargain here. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, where's the harlot that was openly by the wayside? And they said, there was no harlot in this place. And he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of the place said that there was no harlot in this place. And Judah said, let her take it to her, lest we be shamed. Behold, I sent this kid, and thou hast not found her. And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot, and also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth, and she shall be burnt, or let her be burnt. Now, this burning for whoredom, this is, again, back to the Code of Kammurabi. And as I've explained, that is a ancient law, an ancient Babylonian law that predates the Mosaic law. Verse 25, And she was brought forth, and she sent her for, when she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man whose these are, am I with child? And she said, Discern, I pray thee, whose are these? The signet and the bracelet and the staff. Got him, called him out right there. This is your stuff. And Judah acknowledged him and said, She hath been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Shelah my son, and she knew her, and he knew her again no more. Now, just because Judah knew her again no more, it kind of means that he pushed her out or whatever. You can read in Luke chapter 3, which is the true lineage of Christ, that one of these sons coming up, in the name of Pharaoh that she has, Pharaoh is in that line. He is the eighth from David. So naturally it would go Judah, then Pharaoh and then seven more, and then David would be the eighth. So he is in that genealogy, which is why it was so important for Tamar to kind of swindle around, I guess you could say, and conceive by Judah to keep all the genealogies within the Israelites. Verse 27, And it came to pass in the time of her travail that, behold, twins were born, were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took and bound his hand a scarlet thread, bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came to pass. As he drew back his hand, that behold, his brother came out. And she said, How hast thou broken forth this breach upon thee? Therefore his name was called Pharez, which means the breach, which would be the extreme great-grandfather of David, then Nathan, all the way down to Christ. Verse 30, And afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was Zara which means a rising of light or the dawn. Now, verse 39, or excuse me, chapter 39 gets back into the story of Joseph. So we had that little 
snippet there of Judah and and his adventures, I guess you could say. And now we're going to change directions and get back to Joseph. So chapter 39 and verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, it don't just say he was a prosperous man. He went down here, and, and he was a good worker, and he was prosperous. But the Lord was with him, and he was a prosperous man. It's the Lord's blessings. Verse 3, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in the sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had, all that he, had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had, in the house and in the field. So he's really, you know, obviously Potiphar is looking at this and he he can see what's going on. He knows that it's nothing he's doing, nothing J- Joseph's doing, but it's the Lord that's blessing him through Joseph. Verse 6, And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he have, had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Potiphar didn't look at the books. He didn't count his money. He didn't double-check. He didn't have a clue what he had going on because he trusted David. David, he trusted Joseph that much that he gave him everything. He knew that he was a good person, that he was blessed by God, and that he would not wrong him. Verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, uh-oh, cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused. Naturally, he's a goodly man. And said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master watcheth not what is with me in the house. Now, this watcheth means knowest not. And he hath committed all that he hath into my hand. They're saying he, he don't know how much he has. He could care less because he knows I'm trustworthy. Verse 9, there is none greater in this house than I. Neither he, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So he's been blessed by God, and he's earned this trust of Potiphar by being a, such a great guy, trustworthy guy, and following God step for step, and then to fall off this way, it would be wickedness against Potiphar, and it would be sinning against God. It'd go against everything he had. Verse 10, And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day. So she didn't just leave it alone. She's trying to woo him in here. That he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. 
And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men in the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. Now, this is this this is basically a robe, I guess you could say. And it came to pass. Excuse me, the uh, verse twelve, finishing that. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. So he took off. He wasn't having any part of it. Verse thirteen. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house, and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled, and got him out. What a lie! And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. So she's really putting it on here. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. So she's really, you know, she's just doing her best to throw him under the bus because of her embarrassment. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hands all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Now, one thing on Potiphar's anger his wrath that was kindled. He was the captain over the guard, the military, the police, the executioners, the prisons. He was the captain. And if he wanted to, he could have had Joseph executed, but he didn't. He sent him down into prison and then allowed him to be basically second in charge of the prison to let him continue to do the books, to let him continue to be trusted. So, if his wrath was kindled completely against Joseph, you would think he would just execute him. No, I believe he saw what was going on, what was truly happening. He trusted Joseph so much. Joseph had so many opportunities, knowing, being that he didn't even know what he had in his house. Because Joseph was taking such good care of it, he knew Joseph wouldn't do anything. Therefore, it kind of shows that it was his wrath was kindled against his wife. But at the same time, to, I guess, save face a little, he had to reposition Joseph. Now, 
in the next chapter, in the next study, we will get into chapter 40, and that's where Joseph will have, will start interpreting dreams. Naturally, God will do the interpretation for him. And then his rise, or his blessing of being able to rise into power and to save Egypt. God bless y'all. I hope you've enjoyed it, and have a great day. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, you can go to our website at www.humansundergrace.com and under the Contact Us page, submit your question. Also, you can write to us at Humans Under Grace, P.O. Box 1467, Tatum, Texas 75691. Thank you, and God bless you.